We will now hear argument in the case of Kelo versus City of New London. Mr. Bullock. Justice O'Connor, and may it please the Court. This case is about whether there are any limits on government's eminent domain power under the public use requirement of the Fifth Amendment. Every home, church, or corner store would produce more tax revenue and jobs if it were a Costco, a shopping mall, or a private office building. But if that's a justification for the use of eminent domain, then any city can take property anywhere within its borders for any private use that might make more money than what is there now. Mr. Bullock, you leaving out that New London was in a depressed economic condition. So this is distinguished from the case where the state um, has no particular reason for wanting this. But the critical fact on the city side, at least, is that this was a depressed community, and they wanted to build it up, get more jobs. Uh, well, Your Honor, uh, it's important to point out it, in first place that Chapter 132, the statutory section at issue here, applies to every city within the state of Connecticut, not those that are simply depressed. And there is a fundamental difference between an area like what was at issue in Berman, an area that actually had problems, and a city that has certain problems. Every city has problems. Every city would like to have more uh, tax revenue. But that cannot be a justification for taking but property anywhere. But you can see anywhere. that on the facts here, more than tax revenue was at stake. That is, this community had gone down and down, and the town wanted to build it up. It is a desire to try to improve the economy uh, through tax revenue and jobs. That is, that is certainly the case. But that cannot be a justification for the use of eminent domain, uh, because if the trickle-down effects of economic development are a justification, then there really is no limit on the You, you don't concede, I, or do you, that uh, uh, elevating a city from uh, uh, depressed uh, to, uh, to prosperous uh, is a better justification than elevating a city from prosperous to more prosperous? Uh, that is not uh, — that is correct, Your Honor. We do not concede uh, that. And Chapter 132, again, applies to not-so-prosperous cities and, and prosperous cities. It the line you draw is country. between blight, which Berman says is legitimate public use, blighted conditions, okay, but depressed conditions, not. So that's — the line you would draw. Yes, Your Honor. We think that that is a line that this Court has drawn that is area-specific, that focuses on the conditions in a particular area, and the condemnations in Berman removed the problematic areas. It removed the blight. Uh, but Berman spoke in the opinion, said uh, that the determination of the legislature about these things is virtually conclusive, that there is only the narrowest, narrowest role for the judiciary. What kind of standard are you proposing we should get into here to second-guess the public use aspect? Your Honor, there, it is clear that eminent domain power is broad, but there has to be limits, and that's what we're really talking about here. And the limit well, have we ever — um, in any case from this Court, said that the limit has been exceeded? 
In, in a few cases from uh, earlier in this century, Your Honor, the Missouri Pacific case, the Thompson uh, versus Consolidated Gas case, but this Court has recognized for over 200 years that there are limits on eminent domain power, uh, that it cannot be used for private takings, and that has been a consistent strain throughout this Court's jurisprudence. Well, Justice Douglas says there that, that uh, as long as it's an objective within Congress or the legislature's legitimate uh, grant of power, they can do it. I mean, as long as there's a — so why does there have to be a limit within that broad limit? Well, Your Honor, the limit is that there cannot be takings for private use. Oh, no, of course there can't, purely, but there is no taking for private use that you could imagine in reality that wouldn't also have a public benefit of some kind, whether it's increasing jobs or increasing taxes, etc. Now, that's a fact of the world. And so given that fact of the world, uh, uh, that has nothing with law. Why, why shouldn't the law say, okay, virtually every taking is all right, as long as there's some public benefit, which there always is, and it's up to the legislature? Your Honor, we think that that cuts way too broadly. And it uh, puts, because then every property, every home, every business can then be taken for any private use. For no, any private it could only be taken if there is a public use, and there almost always is. Now, do you agree with that, or do you not agree with my last empirical statement? Well, there, um, again, the eminent domain power is broad, but there has to be limits. Now, and that's, of course, my question. My question is, if you agree with the empirical statement that there almost always is some public benefit attached, then my question is, why must there be a limit within that broad framework? Uh, well, Your Honor, I think with, um, with public, with just having a simple public benefit, then there really is no distinction between public and private uses. And that is what we call upon this Court to state, for instance, in the Berman case and in the Midkiff case, which we think are really the outer limits of em- government's eminent domain. But do you authority. think those were but, correctly decided, or do you take issue with the decision in those two cases? We think that the de- those decisions can be consistent with um, uh, ruling in favor of petitioners in this particular case, Your Honor, because — But you take the position that a — city that is suffering from enormous um, lack of jobs and uh, depression, economic depression, that there is no public use purpose for uh, taking land to enable the creation of jobs. That is correct, Your Honor. We well, let, let's assume that the city, instead of taking the property by eminent domain, uh, simply used its, its own, some of its own regular tax income to buy up the property and assemble parcels of land with the purpose of selling them to a, an industrial developer to raise the tax base and hence ultimately to raise taxes. Would you say, just within the meaning of, of general understanding of proper governmental purposes, that the city was, was acting in a way that had no legitimate public purpose? Well, Your Honor, I, I think the question goes to whether or not the government could use its police power to acquire property and then sell it to uh, private developers. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not interested in the label. I'm just saying if the, if the government says we need to increase the tax base because we have a depressed city, so we're going to take some of our tax money now and we're just going to buy up property that people are willing to sell to us and we're going to assemble parcels and when we get a big enough one, 
we're going to sell it to a developer uh, for uh, industrial purposes, and that'll that'll raise the tax base. Is is there anything illegitimate uh, as a as a purpose for governmental spending in doing that? No, Your Honor. We do not believe that that would be illegitimate. So why is there a public, public purpose here? Well, Your Honor, because it uh, this case affects the eminent domain power, which is regulated. No, but we're by talking about. Amendment. I mean, I realize that, but I mean, I thought your your point was that it was use of eminent domain power for an improper purpose. And you characterize that purpose uh, as conveying property to private owners. Well, in my example, the same thing is going on, except that it's not using the eminent domain power. If the purpose in, in my example is a proper public purpose, why isn't it a proper public purpose when, when, the, when the government does it by eminent domain? What changes about the purpose? Your Honor, because of the public use restriction of the Fifth Amendment, that's what we uh, we really think. Well, do, do you equate purpose with use? Are, are the are the two terms the same? Does, does a public use requirement mean nothing more than that it have a public purpose? No, Your Honor. That's your answer to Justice. But if, if that is if that. <laughs> <laughs> if that is your answer, then the slum clearance cases have got to go the other way. I, I'm sorry. It just if, uh, if that is your answer, then I suppose the slum clearance cases were wrongly decided. Well, Your Honor, this, this Court did hold in Berman and Midkiff that the police power and the eminent domain power are coterminous. That was a holding, especially of this Court's opinion, in Midkiff. And there's certain amici that have been filed in this case, amicus briefs have filed in this case, that have called upon this Court to reexamine that. And, of course, this Court is free. But you're to saying that. we don't have to reexamine it. But I think your, your adoption of Justice Scalia's approach puts you in, in a difficult position. I think, I think you're, you're, you're moving in the direction of saying we've, we've really got to overrule the prior cases. Your Honor, I, I think under a, a — Perhaps an original understanding of the takings clause, there was a difference between public well, now, and public purpose. Just for, just for the moment, what about my question? Uh, and, and, I mean, you can get into history if, if, if you want to, and I, I tend to be interested in it, but I, my, my immediate concern is uh, if, if, if you give the answer that you've just given, doesn't it jeopardize the, the precedent of the, of the slum clearance cases? Um, Your Honor, I, I don't think so. Because of the caveat in Berman and Midkiff that eminent domain cannot be used for private uses. And that is what is really at issue here. What I think was the that's focus what, of — what they were being used for in Berman. And I mean, everybody knows the private developers were the beneficiaries in Berman. Your Honor, I, I believe the, the justifications focused upon the removal of the offensive conditions in Berman, that the public purpose, if you want to call it that, was served once the blight was removed, the public purpose was served once the oligopoly was broken up. Here, the as focus I, is — As I understand your test, then you want me to make a distinction between blight, uh, which is a permissible governmental use, a governmental objective, and economic revival, which isn't? Under the eminent domain authority, Your Honor, we think that — Is that the line you want me to draw? Yes, and we think that that is a line well, suppose, that can't — suppose uh, an, an economist or, or even a, a judge might say, well, it's very clear that if this economic depression uh, continues for another five years, we're going to have blight. Well, 
or you bites said, in the eye of the beholder. I know that. Exactly. And, and I think that that is really one of the dangers of the majority opinion here is that it puts uh, any property up for grabs under the blight uh, statutes. They actually have, governments have to meet a certain objective criteria in, to satisfy that this is actually a blighted area. Well, why is an objective criteria to say that we're going to have economic revival or avoid economic downturn? Well, Your, Your Honor, because I think, to get back to the decisions in Berman and Midkiff, what this Court, I think, focused on there is that the public use of the public purpose uh, was direct and immediate. It was served directly by the condemnations, and it was immediately served by the removal of the blight or the breaking up of the oligopoly. In economic development condemnations, the only public benefits that come about, if they come about at all, are completely dependent upon private parties actually making a profit, and that those profits then somehow uh, well, go the to the benefit of the community. The railroads in the West. Uh, it, precisely the description you gave applied to the railroads in the West. Well, Your Honor, I, those were justified under, a, I think, a, the line of cases that held that those were really essential for land assembly for instrumentalities of commerce. They were. Uh, and, uh, and this seems road. to be really essential for the purpose of, of developing property, uh, industrial property to increase the tax base. The, the argument is, and I don't know of any reason to doubt it, uh, that doing it seriatim by voluntary um, uh, acquisition and sale doesn't work. So the, the, rational, the rationale for this is essentially the rationale for the railroads, for the public utility line condemnations, and so on. There isn't another practical way to do it, and there is a public benefit at the end, and that ought to qualify it as a public use. Your Honor, there are many ways to do economic development without condemnation. Uh, it happens every single day in this country and in the states that prohibit the use of eminent domain simply for private business development. Those states do make the distinction between blighted areas and simply their communities wanting to take advantage of more tax revenue. Even and those though states in, are in doing Berman, Berman, there was a, a department store that was not blighted, and it was permissible because the whole area was to be improved to raise that department store, even though it wasn't contributing in any way to blight. Uh, yes, Your Honor, but the court in Berman held that there were certain properties that even though they might have been uh, non-blighted, it was essential to have those properties in order to remove the blight from the uh, area that was at issue. So there was uh, the ability of government to get certain properties, even though they might have been non-blighted. Here, well, Mr. Bullock, would you articulate the test that you would propose the court adopt? Some uh, amici and others have argued that we should use the substantially advances test, so-called test, from regulatory takings. What test do you articulate? Well, for our bright line rule, uh, Your yes. Honor, uh, the test should be that the government cannot uh, take property simply so that the new owners can put it to ordinary private uses of land. Uh, that's really the test. And well, that's not what's asserted here, of course. The, here the city says we're doing this for purposes of enhancing economic development of a very poor city. True, Your Honor. But so what do we do with that alleged purpose? 
What is your test? Well, the, the test, Your Honor, for, for — Is it no economic development purpose? Yes. Yes. When it's only justified in order to gain the secondary benefits from ordinary private uses of land in the way that businesses always make use of their land to try to make money in order to try to make a profit. That's our bright line rule. Uh, for our second test, if this Court accepts that economic development can be a, a public use, then we advocate a test of reasonably foreseeable uses and minimum standards in order to counter the uh, dangers posed by such private involvement in the use of eminent domain power. And what's the latter? I mean, I understand the former. That's a big retreat, and, and it uh, uh, comes to me now you're getting into what I think is a possible realm of reason here. But the, the uh, second part now, you said, and minimum standards. What minimum standards? Well, the dissent uh, in the Connecticut uh, Supreme Court uh, talked about a lot about minimum standards that should be in place in order to ensure that the public benefits actually come about. Those could be such things as a commencement date for the uh, project, a construction schedule, uh, financial uh, eligibility for the developer. There was a number of different things. I mean, are you advocating particular ones? Not particular ones, just that the standard actually be in place, and we think that the dissent provides some good guideposts for establishing. Isn't, uh, your main test isn't approaching, isn't, isn't that in effect changing the test from public use to efficient public use? I mean, what's, you know, if I condemn land for a public utility and the public utility turns out to be very inefficient, has the, the condemnation been invalid? Uh, no, Your Honor. I, you want us to sit here and evaluate the uh, the prospects of each each uh, condemnation one by one? Uh, no, Your Honor. What we're advocating for, and, and utilities, of course, are justified in this, have long been justified under a separate line of, of cases, common carrier regulations. But what we're talking about are certain minimum standards in place at the time of condemnation to uh, to try to have some type of reasonable certainty that the public benefits are to come about. So we're not talking about ongoing oversight. We're simply talking about minimum standards at the time of the condom, uh, at the time of the condemnation. I, I take it there isn't, but maybe there is, there isn't any question in this case that the city was acting in good faith and, and, and did, and I presume still does, intend to convey to developers who will uh, who will actually proceed to develop the property. Is, is there a question about that? A question of whether or not they proceeded in good faith? Yeah, in other words, I, I, the, I, I can understand perfectly well why, why we, we, we want to draw a distinction between the use of the eminent domain power that takes a parcel of property from private person A and simply then reconveys it to private person B without any particular object in mind except that the city likes B. Uh, you know, the, the, the mayor's a, a Democrat and B's a Democrat, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, so I, I can understand the, the, the need for some distinction between that case and what we've got here. Uh, the, the question is, when, when you say there have to be minimum standards, I guess, is do we have a problem historically or in this case 
about the good faith of the taking so that we need the minimum standards to make sure that we're not getting into the, the, the first example? Uh, yes, Your Honor, and there's a number of reasons why there has to be reasonably foreseeable uses. Is, is, and, is and, there a reason in this case? Is there some doubt here? Uh, well, it goes to the, uh, to the doubt about whether or not the public benefits will actually uh, come about in this case. The takings here are really for speculative purposes, pure speculative purposes, and that's where the minimum, minimum standards come into play to but ensure — But do you really want courts to be in the business of trying to weigh the evidence to see if the utility will be successful or the hospital will be successful or the — Road will be well constructed. I mean, what kind of a test are you proposing? No, Your Honor, it would, we're, our test is limited really to the condemnations that are completely dependent upon the private businesses actually being successful and that those benefits coming about. So it would not affect utilities or anything like that. But at a minimum, this Court should require that the government actually name a use and well, the would parties you, be reasonably you, Does the record tell us anything about how often takings by eminent domain for economic development occur in this country? Is it frequent? What are we dealing with? Um, it, it, is, it is frequent, uh, Your Honor. Um, there's no — we do not know of any uh, study that looks specifically at condemnations for economic development. But after the Michigan Court's decision in Poltown, they became commonplace. And you had properties, uh, businesses that were being condemned for casinos, other homes that were taken for automobile manufacturers, and the Michigan Supreme Court saw that as uh, a disaster and overturned that decision. Yes, but in all, all of those cases, I think the economic feasibility or economic success test would have been easily met. Uh, I mean, what you're, what you're doing is trying to protect some economic values. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear that most economists would say this development wouldn't happen unless there's a foreseeable chance of success. Let me ask you this, and it's a little outside the particular question presented. Is there any writing or scholarship that indicate that when you have property being taken from one private person ultimately to go to another private person, that what we ought to do is to adjust the measure of compensation uh, so that the uh, owner uh, – uh, the 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 the, the uh, can receive some sort of a premium for the development. Or? Uh, there may be some scholarship uh, about that. This court has consistently held that uh, the property owner is simply entitled to just compensation, the appraised value of the property. Of course, the property owner and you here presend the the project when you when you fix the value. Uh, I'm sorry, Your Honor. You have to presend the project. You have to pres. You have to ignore the project when you determine the value. The value is a willing buyer and a willing, willing seller without reference to the project. Uh, yes, that is right. And so they simply get the appraised but what value. what I'm asking is that there have been any scholarship to indicate that maybe that compensation measure ought to be adjusted when uh, A is losing property for the economic benefit of B. I believe there has been some scholarship about it, but we think it's vital that there be a public use requirement. In Can I ask you about the standard? Go yes. back for a second. Yes. I gather that the Iowa courts have a standard that includes whether there is a reasonable likelihood 
that the intended public use will take place. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the standard you're advocating? It's similar to our uh, reasonable foreseeability test uh, that we set forth in our briefs that this Court actually uh, talked about in the Vester case as well and a number of the other state uh, cases that are cited in our brief uh, that establish that there has to be a use for the property and that that use has to be reasonably uh, foreseeable. Is there a Did lot you- of disagreement about this? I mean, no, there's not. To me, you might, I mean, whether there is a reasonable assurance that there will, in fact, be the public use, which the state uses as the justification for taking the property. Uh, is that a is that going to help you that much? I, I think it will it provide will. important minimal standards of protection for. Well, I mean, I don't see how this court could get into the business of saying you have to have this uh, by a particular day or you have to have. Right. Uh, 14 witnesses. I mean, we couldn't impose that sort of thing, could we? Uh, Your Honor, I think just the standard needs to be in place. At Re- least one reasonable, reasonable assurance. Exactly. Or at the very least reasonable foreseeability uh, as well, which is at a minimum um, that is not even at in, in place in this particular case. And the majority of state courts uh, that have looked at this, uh, that is a well Well, they might well meet it here. Uh, not in this case, uh, Your Honor. But do you do that area by area? I mean, one of the points you made, this is divided into, what, seven areas. Right. And th- there's some scheduled to be developed first. You say that your clients live in parcels that are not likely to be developed soon, if at all. So when making this determination, is development reasonably Likely, do you have to do it parcel by parcel, or can it be for the whole? No, Your Honor. We believe it should be uh, done where the property is actually being condemned. Um, and we think that that is the proper, that is so the proper it's, test. So it's not the area development, but this house, will there be, is it reasonably likely that there will be development in that particular plot? In this particular parcel. That is correct, Your Honor, and this, that has been supported by really just about every condemnation uh, decision. If let, me, let me ask you, I'm sorry, I'm going to make this a quick question. Sure. Just, uh, why do you think it is necessary, given, given your position, why do you think it's necessary to adopt the test you've just uh, uh, articulated as distinct simply from uh, a, a good faith requirement? So that if somebody objected and offered to prove bad faith, that would be, in effect, a a, a defense to the taking. Your Honor, because that does not really provide any protections to property owners. Uh, The intent to benefit a private party and the intent to benefit uh, the public are really one and the same in these types of condemnations. And we believe it is imperative at a minimum because the condemnations are dependent upon private parties even being successful that there has to be reasonably foreseeable uses, and also, if this Court so chooses, minimum standards in place to ensure that those benefits actually go to the public. I would like to reserve the remainder of my time. Very well. Thank you. Mr. Horton. Justice O'Connor, and may it please the Court. The principal purpose of the takings clause is to provide for just compensation. Now, I want to very briefly state two reasons why you do not want to make Well, but it has to be for a valid public use. Yes, it does, Your Honor. Okay. Uh, I completely agree with that, but uh, the primary purpose of the takings clause is not to regulate legislative determinations of that. But uh, 
It seems to me that what the opposition is asking for is two tests, one for uh, Berman and Midkiff and National Railroad and another test for Kilo. There's no principled basis for a court to make what is really a value judgment about whether uh, a long-term plan to revive an economically depressed city is a public use of a higher or lower rank uh, constitutionally, but he doesn't. He does, his second test does not adopt that. The second test, which he was arguing at the end, is just that there has to be a reasonable assurance that the public use, and it could include all those things, I, will I, in fact take place. Yes, uh, Justice Breyer, and uh, I noted his remark because that's actually a concession because that's the test the Connecticut Supreme Court imposed, and they have, uh, you know, that may be. But what do you think of that? Test? I don't. I don't agree. I don't think it's necessary to do that because if you have that test, you have to say, um, well, what do I do about about other areas than this? Berman is an excellent example of that because, as as Justice Ginsburg said. Mr. Berman's property was not blighted. You needed to take Mr. Berman's property in order for the economic development that was going to occur later on. And the question is, was it reasonably assured that the economic development? In fact, some of the other side's amicus briefs say that that worked out terribly uh, down there. And all it was was discriminating against the poor and, and, uh, and, and poverty-stricken people, and it didn't accomplish any goal. It was Mr. Horton, what, what difference does it make that — that uh, New London was in an economic depression, would it not be fully as much, under your theory, of a public use for a city to say, yeah, we're not doing badly, but we could do better. Let's attract some high-tech industry here. You can't possibly draw a line between depressed cities and undepressed cities, can you? I would not draw a line. And you wouldn't ask us to do it either. I would not ask you, I have a backup argument that you do not need to reach that issue here in light of the facts of this case. But I, I, to be candid with you, my view is that the test you have uh, is, there's no principle. City can do it. And and in the hypothetical that uh, Justice Souter gave earlier, where, you know, you couldn't take it from A and give it to B because B is a good Democrat, you could take it from A and give it to B if B is richer and would pay higher municipal taxes, uh, couldn't you? Yes, Your Honor, but I have a caveat on that. If you're talking about one property, you're very likely to have uh, a Willowbrook versus uh, uh, Oleg problem about discrimination, uh, you know, intentional discrimination against somebody. No, I'm just, I just want to take property from uh, people who are paying less taxes and give it to people who are paying more taxes. That would be a public use, wouldn't it? For example, Motel 6. And the city thinks, well, if we had a Ritz-Carlton, we'd have higher taxes. Now, is that okay? Yes, Your Honor. That would be okay. I, uh, uh, because otherwise, you're in the position of drawing the line. I mean, there is, there is a limit. I mean, okay. th- th- if, that, if that's so, then the uh, occasional statements that we see in the writing that you can't take from A to give to B is just wrong. No, I don't agree with that. A good example you, is, uh, you, well, there's Missouri Pacific. You think that you can't take from A to give to B that there is some substance uh, and, and, and force to that proposition? There's some force to it. I certainly uh, would. Let me qualify it. You can take from A to give to B if B pays more taxes. If it's a significant amount. Obviously, there's a cost. Okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. You, you can take from A and give to B if B pays significantly but, but, uh, more I, I, taxes. I, I, uh, without you, the, you accept that as a problem? I do, Your Honor. Yes, well, but, I do. With, with, you, without the addition, I, 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 
please like an answer to your question. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. There are uh, statements in our cases, and some of them right, you cannot take from A just to give to B. Yes. Do you agree that there is substance to that proposition and that that proposition is correct? Yes, Your Honor, I do. And uh, uh, to, to — uh, But isn't that exactly what happened in Burma? Your Honor, in Burma, the — what has — Isn't that exactly what always happens unless it's for a firehouse or a school? Your Honor, my position is that uh, uh, purely taking from one person to give to another that shows no public benefit other than just giving from — taking from one person to another would not be a public use. A, a good example is the Missouri Pacific case, the one case in 200 years of this Court's jurisprudence where you have, in fact — uh, uh, struck uh, uh, such a, a taking that was not a regulatory taking. Um, I would also uh, point out that there are a few cases around the country where uh, it does not include Justice Scalia's hypothetical about additional taxes. An excellent example of that is the case the other side is cited from New Jersey, uh, Casino uh, uh, Properties versus uh, Bannon, where uh, the Trump Association just wanted a uh, parking lot uh, that was next door. There was no assembly problem, no problem putting uh, uh, small parcels together. There was no talk in the case about taxes or uh, 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 more taxes or more jobs or anything. Uh, it, it, the trial judge there didn't say it was just for a public purpose, a private purpose, but he said it was overwhelmingly just for the Trump organizations. So, I mean, if if you include justice. Uh, Scalia's hypothetical about more taxes, then I say that's sufficient as long as you get over. Is that what the Connecticut Supreme Court that we're reviewing said? You are, you are arguing, it seems to me, but something that goes beyond what was adjudicated in this case. Y- I mean, yes. There was a finding, a finding purportedly of fact in the trial court that this development was going to be primarily for the benefit of the citizens of New London and not for the benefit of Pfizer or the private developer. Yes, Your Honor. I agree with that, and uh, that is why I say my backup position is you don't need to determine whether you go beyond economic depre- uh, depression of a city in this particular case. Right. Is that a factual finding? You, you consider that a factual finding? I think it's a mixed question of fact and law by the — This is primarily for the benefit of the city of New London, not for the benefit of the private — I, I consider that it's in the eye of the beholder. To whom do you think this does greater benefit to? I don't see it's a fact. When, when, when there is no uh, condemnation to acquire property for the direct use of the public, as for a public right of way or a utility path or something, where it's purely economic development, is there any reason why we shouldn't draw a clear line and say that isn't a public purpose? Let them go out and deal with it, buy it on the market, on the open market. What's the matter with that? Uh, well, for one thing, we have in this case, and this comes back to the point about this particular case, is a, a severe assembly problem. We have 115 properties we're talking about on this 90-acre plot, and there's 32 acres that come from one place from uh, — Well, let's look at the specifics here. Yeah. Pfizer is already in place. That's happened. Yes, yes, Your Honor. So what are these parcels of the people now before us uh, going to be used for? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, first of all, it's a, it's a long-range plan. Uh, if, I could have, uh, if I could have the chart, please, uh, if I may uh, show, uh, show you, Your Honor. 
Um, the, uh, uh, we're out on a peninsula here, uh, and here is Pfizer down here, which at the time of the taking uh, was almost completed. They moved in a month afterwards. Um, uh, up here uh, is an old uh, uh, state, uh, uh, old fort from the 19th century that the state agreed to turn into a state park uh, as part of an overall plan. The overall plan is this whole thing. Um, now, parcel one is going to be a hotel. It was planned for a hotel. Parcel two was planned. Talk about the litigants yes. before us today. Yes, that's right. They're in parcel three and they're in parcel 4A. Now, the, it's to be developed in phases. The first phase is one and two. The next phase is then three and four, uh, A. And there's also a marina. What's in, planned for three and four A? What's planned for three is that it's going to be office space, and uh, the expectation is there's going to be uh, demand for Class A office space, which is the best quality office space in this area by 2010. And the expectation is that it will attract uh, the sorts of offices that will uh, uh, feed on the uh, Pfizer, uh, they, they spent $300 million on a site here. In addition, I would point out, this is the Amtrak line going along here. The only way you can get to parcels 1 and 2 is to go right by parcel 3 or go right by parcel 4A. This is a wa- wastewater treatment facility. Parcel 4A is, is for park support or marina support. Now, it isn't more definitive, but obviously one possible use is for parking, uh, here, because you've got a wastewater treatment facility here, you've got the park here, you've got the marina here, and you've got the other parcels here. It's not like we're talking, um, uh, as in Berman. Uh, you know, you're talking about something that's in the parcel, and in Berman they said w- it's not for the courts to decide where the boundary lines ought to be. It seems to me that's another point, Justice O'Connor. It's not like they're – Parcel three and can't three the is courts, at least can't the courts, could the courts, do you object to this, and I'm not advocating it, I want your reaction. Yes, sir. Uh, could the courts, under this clause, at least review what you've just said for reasonableness? I mean, look at the reasonableness of a claim that this is for, basically for a public use. Look at the reasonableness of the claim that we should do it this way rather than excusing uh, the people who don't want to sell their houses no matter what and doing it a little bit differently. Reasonableness is a concept that's already in the Constitution in terms of what the legislature can do. But I'm thinking of the stronger kind of reasonableness review that you might have in an administrative action. Now, now is it Overton Park, if you want a case, is, is that a possible kind of review that you might find appropriate here? Uh, no, Your Honor, if what you're defining is reasonableness as being higher than rational basis, because in that situation, you're applying a higher standard for a taking where we're paying for it than you would be well, for the a- reason that you would apply a somewhat higher standard is because the rational basis with tremendous deference applies to the power of Congress to act in an economic area in the absence of a particular constitutional provision designed to protect a minority from the actions of a majority. And if you read that public purpose uh, section here as having that in mind, you might want a somewhat higher uh, level of review. Now, that's the whole thing spelled out. I'm not advocating it, but I am 
putting it forward to get a, to get your reaction? Um, Your Honor, uh, that same uh, type of remark could be made about uh, rational basis equal protection review. When, but when indeed, with equal protection, we very often do have a somewhat higher standard of review. Ah, yes, Your Honor. But the point here is that you should not have a higher standard of review because we're paying for it. It would be ironic to have a higher test than, for example, in a regulatory taking or even the same test. You have a test in Nolan and Dolan, for example, which is an exactions case. So that's you're, you're paying for it, but you're also taking property from somebody who doesn't want to sell it. Does that count for nothing? Yes, you're paying for it. But you're, you're giving the money to somebody who doesn't want the money, who wants to live in the house that she's lived in her whole life. That counts for nothing. No, of course not. Well, right. then, then, uh, some, now, let, let me ask, would, would, uh, the, the, a reasonableness standard, if, if, if the project is indeed reasonable, and there is genuine prospect that all of these good things that you're talking about will happen, why wouldn't private money come in? To, uh, to further the project. Why is it necessary to condemn it if it's so reasonable? Why couldn't you — now, you say there's a holdout for one par- parcel. Couldn't, couldn't the city uh, fund a private purchase of that parcel? Say, you know, we'll, we'll make funds available out of our general tax revenue to somebody who wants to come in and put together this system. Of course, that person has to buy out property owners. But we'll, 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 we'll give you money to buy them out at, 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 at high prices. Your Honor, there are some plaintiffs who are not going to sell at any price. They want to stay there. You've got a severe assembly problem in this case, and it's not as though you you can say, well, go somewhere else. Uh, You you have a situation where you've got the Pfizer plant that is being built there. You've got the state park that's there. You've got this uh, uh, naval underseas uh, facility that just came on the market. That's the only place anything's going to work, and it's it's five to six square miles of town. I mean, there's no other place to go. How much of this? This was um, voluntarily sold. Is, is that correct? Oh, uh, the large share of it was. But, of course, that's because there's always in the background the possibility of being able to con- uh, condemn it. I, I mean, that obviously facilitates a lot of uh, voluntary sales. And if, if, uh, if this is not <laughs> — if this is not uh, — let me put it this way. I mean, there's going to be a more severe holdout problem. <laughs> that may be. Now, the, the, that's why I'm back to reasonableness. You see, we're told in the briefs yes. that the people who often might hold out might do so to get more money, but it might also be because they're poor, they're not well-connected politically, uh, and their only hope is to go to a court and stop this thing. So you'd give them two weapons. Weapon one is you have to pay them. That's correct, compensation. And weapon two is they can put you to a test of being reasonable. Now, that might be quite a deferential test. So you might have every leg up, but they at least could uh, catch the instances where this is really not reasonable to do to them what you're doing to them that they don't want. I have uh, two responses to that, Your Honor. First of all, that applies to all sorts of takings. If I'm building a road, let me give you an example of the Ringe case. Uh, Your Honor's decided in the 1920s. 
that was the road to nowhere. It was the road that went through a farm to, uh, uh, to a, uh, the county line. And the other county had no inten- intention at that point of building a road. But Your Honor said, well, uh, they might get around to it at some time, and so it's a good idea to build it now. We had a similar situation in Hartford. There's supposed to be a ring road around Hartford. And the state uh, condemned all this land for a ring road around Hartford. Well, one little bit of it was done. And then just this, this year, we, they're in very low print in the last page of the newspaper, we see about the state getting around to selling the land because they didn't, they didn't do it. I mean, this can happen in, uh, in uh, the uh, uh, railroad case is a good example. The railroad case, the one uh, Your Honor's decided, uh, uh, if, if it's being a common carrier makes all the difference, then uh, how come the ICC just didn't order the Boston Maine to fix the railroad? <laughs> uh, you know, why, you know, you didn't look to common make up. carriers are subject to state regulation to a degree that private companies are not. They must, tr- they must treat all comers alike. I mean, I, I, I don't think the, 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 the public utility cases uh, are at all comparable to condemning land in order to get an, a new company to move in and pay more taxes. I, I, I just don't think it's similar. Well, I, I would like to point out uh, uh, that the, there is a difference. That the whole point is about having a, uh, a test about reasonable assurances about whether something's going to happen. And that's where the, the railroad case makes a difference. I agree with you on that. Uh, that's the only point I was making, uh, Your Honor. I didn't mean to go further than that. But coming back to uh, Justice Breyer's point, you made a point about uh, poor people. And I'd like to point out, uh, unless you're going to overrule Berman, uh, you know, poor people and minorities are more likely to be vulnerable in the blight cases than in this case. I mean, this is a good example. Economic development can take place anywhere in town. Blight happens in one area of town where the poor and the minorities are likely to live. And, in fact, in this very case, we've got middle-class people. There's, there's no blight uh, that's been uh, alleged uh, in the condemnation papers. Uh, the other thing is, if you stick to blight, this is the problem you're going to have. You're going to end up making a blight jurisprudence <laughs> because, because what's going to happen is uh, uh, the cities are going to say, we can only do this by blight. So they're going to have marginal uh, definitions of blight. Florida, for example, says property is blighted if it's vacant. <laughs> is that blight? Uh, I mean, you're going to have a big headache. In that. You know, I, 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 I'm accepting that yeah. you can't make that kind of a yeah. distinction. That's why I'm focusing on uh, uh, a test that would possibly apply only where you transfer property from one private person to another, but still wouldn't make those distinctions of blight or not blight. Yes. But, I mean, the other thing is, are you going to make, uh, would the court make a distinction between a case where the city is doing the developing itself and another case where the city gives it to a private person? I'd like to point out, my client is going to keep uh, the property. It's, it's going to be leased to a developer. It's not going to be sold to the developer. So, I mean, if the developer builds a building on this property and then doesn't comply, <laughs> they're in big trouble. It, it does seem Mr. ironic that 100 percent of the premium for the new development goes to the, goes to the developer and, and to the taxpayers and, and not to the property owner. Uh, that's a, an interesting point. A question was raised earlier about uh, the other side, about uh, uh, whether there should be the compensation measure. The compensation measures, exactly. Uh, by the way, uh, the answer to your question is: uh, if there's some jur- if there's some scholarly uh, articles on that, I'm not aware of it either. Uh, but I would point out that's something it, you know, in terms of social costs and things like that, that is something that this court might or might not wish to consider in uh, in a just compensation case. But I don't think it should affect whether you take. 
take the property or not. Uh, it's, it seems to me that that is uh, — I'm not taking a position on that one way or another, but it seems to me that's uh, — you have to assume in this case that there's going to be just compensation. On, on, on that point, just in, in Connecticut, uh, if the uh — Property owner goes to the jury and receives more than the state offered. Uh, does the state also have to pay those attorney's fees? Under, under state law? Under Connecticut law, if uh, the property owner is offered $100 but goes to the jury and gets $200, uh, does the property owner have to pay the attorney's fees or does the state no. pay the attorney's fees? The state does not pay the attorney's fees, Your Honor. Uh, that's uh, everybody uh, pays his own attorney. And, and l- likewise, the other way, if it's lower <laughs> amount, uh, then, uh, then what was uh, put in, then, uh, you know, it's not as though the state gets attorney's fees back. It works both ways. Mr. Uh, Horton, yeah. uh, yes, sir. what do you think is the reason that there are not a lot of examples of the sort that I think uh, one of Justice O'Connor's uh, hypotheticals raised in which the, I don't know, the Econoline Motel gets condemned so that the Ritz can be built, uh, thereby increasing tax revenue and so on, uh, kind of, parcel by parcel uh, uh, augmentations to the tax base and so on. Why aren't there a lot of examples like that? I, I think there's two good reasons for it, and that's it's a theoretical more than a practical problem. First of all, you've got all sorts of transaction costs when you, when you go through eminent domain as opposed to doing things voluntarily. So you're not going to do things to, uh, as a practical matter, to take Justice Scalia's earlier example, uh, to, uh, for one piece of property because of the transaction costs involved. I mean, you're never going to make up the, unless it's to, uh, uh, you know, to favor the, the governor's uh, friend or something like that, as you're saying. In which case we have a different. In which case you have a different problem, the uh, Willowbrook versus Olick type. Okay, so we have transaction costs. Transaction costs, uh, and, but that is a serious problem. And the other thing, there's the democratic process, Your Honor. I mean, especially if the taxpayers are paying for something uh, and, you know, they, they're getting a bad reason or a runaround about the reason, uh, you know, that, that's subject to review. It seems to me uh, democracy can make good decisions and ba- or bad decisions under the Constitution, but the important thing is that when it's paid for, it's not like regulatory takings, which are, you know, the taxpayers don't see that until it's too late. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, in, in, in this type of taking, the taxpayers are seeing up front what's, what's going on. That's true, but now put yourself in the position of the homeowner. I take it if it's a forced sale, yeah. it's at the market value. The individual, let's say it's someone who's lived in his house his whole life. He bought the house for $50,000. It's worth half a million. He has 450000 profit. He pays 30 percent to the government and the state in taxes. And then he has to live somewhere. Well, I mean, what's he supposed to do? He now has uh, probably 350000 to pay for a house. He gets half a house because that's all he's going to do. Uh, all he's going to get for that money after he paid the taxes or whatever. And, I mean, there are a lot of — and he has to move and so forth. So it, I'm going back to Justice Kennedy's point. Is there some way of assuring that the just compensation actually puts the person in the position he'd be in if he didn't have to sell his house? Certainly, Your Honor. Or is he inevitably worse off? Well, he's not — I mean, first of all, uh, the — uh, in Connecticut, fortunately, we have uh, relocation loans, uh, which are involved here, and they are available in this case. Um, there was, 
it wasn't clear from our brief whether they were loans or not, and it is correct that they are loans. Um, the other side pointed out that that was for all projects in the state. That's not true. Uh, you know, I, indicate, I mean, there's $10 million involved in relocation funds. But, but the, the loans don't make him whole, isn't it? Isn't, That's true. I mean, I think what Justice bothers Justice Breyer, I guess, bothers a, a lot of us, and that is, 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 the, is there a problem of making the homeowner or the, the property owner whole? But I suppose the answer to that is that goes to the measure of compensation, which is not the issue here. Yes, and that's that's and I had said that earlier. But another point, when I was talking about roads, is that applies to that could apply to any type of case. It doesn't just apply to a case like and this. That would like really this. overrule a bunch of prior cases and <laughs> yeah. really uh, throw uh, condemnation law into chaos. Yeah. And, and Justice Scalia, uh, a, a question you, or actually, it was a comment you had made about public use versus public uh, uh, purpose, and that would not only over, overrule. It, he, and my opposing counsel said there's a difference between the two. And when pressed uh, by Justice Souter, and I would point out that's not just overruling cases going back to Berman. That's overruling two decisions by Oliver. What is the Hall. remedy? Let me pose the In, problem to which I want a remedy then. And maybe this isn't the right remedy, but the remedy that they're saying is, and I'm really repeating it, is an individual has a house and they want to be really not made a lot worse off, at least not made a lot worse off just so some other people can get a lot more money. Now, what's, what is the right? Is there no constitutional protection? If this isn't the right case, what is? Well, the, the right case is uh, in the just compensation concept. But, uh, but going to your, your point, um, uh, if this were here as just compensation, I would say in terms of just compensation, in, in deciding what the fair market value is today, you can certainly take into account the economic plan that's going into effect. Uh, you know. No, uh, really? Uh, I, I, I thought that that was a fundamental of condemnation law, that you cannot value the uh, — property being taken based on what it's going to be worth after the, the project. That's well, just, that's, unless Connecticut law is much different from any other state. I may have sp- misspoken on that subject, Your Honor. I didn't speak, but, you know, no. in any case, I, I, what, this, I, what this lady wants is not more money. No amount of no, money is going to satisfy her. She's living in this house, you know, her whole life, and she does not want to move. You say, I'll move if it's being taken for a public use, but my God, you're just giving it to some other private individual because that individual is going to pay more taxes. I, I, it seems to me that's a, that's a, that's an objection in principle and an objection in principle that the, that the public use requirement of the Constitution seems to be addressed to. But, uh, as I say, Your Honor, if public use and public purpose are the same thing, which they are unless you're going to overrule Holmes's decisions from 1905 and 1906, then — It won't be the first of Holmes's decisions to be overruled. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you'd have to take some uh, substantial chunks of language out of Berman as well, because Justice Douglas spoke very expansively in that case. Plus, uh, I think uh, Holmes was right when he said that uh, to say that the public actually has to use the property is is not uh, an appropriate uh, meaning of the phrase. I, I would not think you'd want to uh, revisit that case, even if you want to revisit some other of Holmes's decisions. Um, but the but the, I, I guess the best answer I have, Justice Breyer, to your question after I after I misspoke is simply to go back to the point that the time at which you consider what just compensation is. Uh, is in the is in 
is in the just compensation proceeding, and while I misspoke about what the test was, and I apologize for that, uh, certainly this Court can, can consider if social costs should be taken into account at that time. I'm not saying they should. I haven't uh, thought that through, as you can obviously see by my misanswering the question. But it seems to me, because my primary answer is that you don't look at that now. Well, of course, the tax code does have special provisions for involuntary sales and yes, reinvestment. Yes, it, so yes, the, it does. The yes. tax hypothetical is not quite accurate. Yes. Mr. Horton, I'm not proposing that, uh, that the state has to use the property itself. Yes. I'm simply proposing that its use not be a private use which has incidental benefits to the state. If that is not enough to justify, uh, uh, use of the condemnation power. Well, I, I don't think this is... You, you can give it to a private entity. You can give it to a railroad, to some public utility. But the use that it's put to by that railroad and public utility is a public use. That's why it's a public utility. It's quite different to say you can give it to a private individual simply because that private individual is going to hire more people and, and pay more taxes. That, it seems to me, just washes out entirely the distinction between private use and public use. Well, I don't agree, Your Honor, because uh, I think I think if uh, a person is without a job and if a person is not able to get uh, basic services that they need from the town because the town can't afford it, that's just as important as the trains running on time or, or eliminating blight. And, Justice uh, Breyer, I thought of another answer to your question that has to do with this case, and that is even on a higher test, we win because the Connecticut Supreme Court applied a higher test in this case. And uh, uh, just uh, I would say that in this case, the essence of federalism is to let various courts make various decisions about what they consider an important public purpose. It may be different in Utah from the way it is in Connecticut and is different in Florida. And I don't think this, case, this court should be having a new jurisprudence for this area and, and having two separate tests and maybe having a test that even approaches the Nolan Dolan test uh, where you w- certainly want to discourage people from taking exactions, or uh, and and uh, so it seems to me the f- the four words I think that this court should consider, and I'm not going to tell you the four words since my red light is on. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bullock. You have uh, three and a half minutes. Mr. Bullock, do you know those four words? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. I could respond to it if I if I actually did. Um, Your Honors, um, first of all, just a couple of matters regarding the Connecticut uh, Supreme Court's decision. The Connecticut Supreme Court did not apply the test that we suggest in our case. They explicitly, the majority explicitly declined to apply heightened scrutiny uh, in, in in this instance. I think the key to understanding their argument is the answer to the question of can you take a Motel 6 and give it to a fancier hotel? Their answer is yes, and that's what's really at stake here. These condemnations are taking place throughout the country. A city in California condemns the 99-cent store in order to give it to Costco. Now, were they giving enormous benefits to Costco? Uh, of course they were, but they did so because they wanted to get the tax revenue. And that's the problem with these types of condemnations. The desire to help a private party and the desire to help the public are really one and the same. The public only benefits if the private party is, uh, is successful. Uh, the NLDC is a private body. 
Uh, it has a private board of directors, and it is leasing land to a private developer for 99 years at $1 a year. That is private ownership of land. Also, Your Honors, there's no severe assembly problem in this particular case and in many other development situations. The NLDC and the city have 32 acres that was given to them by the federal government for them to do as they wish. And uh, our homeowners who have lived there a long time and wish to hold on to their properties do not object to that development going on. It is uh, within the rights of the city and the NLDC to do so. Also, Your Honor, the Ringe case that was cited by uh, the respondents, they actually knew what was going to go on in that, uh, in that case. They knew what the use was going to be. And finally, Your Honors, the respondents talk about the effect that this may have upon poor people. Not all neighborhoods, not all poor neighborhoods are blighted. But the one thing that all poor neighborhoods share in common is that they don't produce much in the way of tax revenue. So you're going to put poor neighborhoods and working-class neighborhoods like the ones that exist in Fort Trumbull in jeopardy if the Court uh, affirms the decision below. And that's why so many organizations that are concerned about uh, the rights of senior citizens and the rights of minorities and poor folks like legal services corporations have joined in our side to support the property owners uh, in this case. If there's no further questions, Your Honors, uh, I will close. Thank you. The case is submitted.